0: Hello, my dear friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Stoic Podcast. How are you guys doing? It's been a while. And the last time that I recorded an episode of this podcast, I told you guys that it might take me a while to come back with another another episode. And indeed, it did take me a while and it was for a good reason. You know, I'm going to share all of that here with you. So please listen all the way to the end um, of this podcast, of this episode. And if you are not um, able to listen to all of it in one sitting, I highly recommend that um, you pause and then you come back. Um, the following day to listen to it because it's really important that you listen all the way to the end uh, because I have a lot of important information to share with you today. But before I get into all of that, um, I want to share some insight that I had the last time. Um, I want to be able to share that with you here today. And here is this one thing that I came to fully realize and fully understand. Is that we all have value? We have inherent value by virtue of the fact that we are human. Just follow me. Uh, follow me on this uh, trend of thought. So. Have you ever seen something of nature and just marveled at the inherent beauty in that thing? Like you see the ocean or you see a landscape or you see a flower, you know, a particular type of tree or stars in the sky or the full moon or sunset and you're just amazed at how beautiful beautiful it is. Like there is a quality about that thing that makes it beautiful, that gives it value. The value of the sun does not come from anything that it does. It comes from something that it already is. The value of the ocean does not come from anything that it does. It comes from what it already is. When you see a flower or a particular landscape or beautiful scenery that is from nature, The value of it does not come from anything that it does. It comes from what it already is. Because the ocean cannot think for itself. The trees don't think. They don't have any intelligence to do anything of their own. Their value is inherent in them by virtue of what they already are. There's a usefulness to them, to their existence, by virtue of what they are. Are naturally created to be. There's a quality to them and irrespective of which part of the world the ocean is, it still has that quality because it is the ocean. And if you take a beautiful class or category of flowers and any flower that belongs to that category shares the same inherent quality that gives that flower value, are you with me? And I think that is the same with humans by virtue of the fact that you are human you have value. The structure or the living organism that is called human has its inherent value as well. It has its inherent quality to it. So take a moment and look at a human being separate and outside of whatever personality that they may have, whatever job that they may do, whatever products that they may have produced, whether they have children or not, whatever thing that forms their identity for them, whatever thing that you will use to describe them and identify them by, take them out of that for a moment, separate them from that, and look at the structure that is called humanity, the structure that we call human, just like you will look at the water body that we call the ocean. Look at the human structure just like that, outside of any identity, outside of any personality, And that structure inherently has value. There's a quality to it. And that quality does not come from what it produces or what it does. That quality is inherent within it by virtue of the fact that it is human. Are you following what I'm saying? The ocean has inherent value by the fact that it was created to be an ocean with all the characteristics that comes with it. It has value. It has beauty. It has power. This is the same for humans. With all the natural characteristics that we are created with, we also have that inherent value, and it does not come from anything that that human does. By virtue of the fact that whatever the creation, whatever the creator is that created us as humans, We have value by that virtue. There's a power to it. There's a beauty to it. There's value to it. There's something magnificent to it, something powerful to it. But what usually happens is that we attach our value with the things that we do, with the things that we have, or how we appear physically. But that is not where our true value is. Our true value is inherent within us, irrespective of what we do or what we have done. We have value, and we are all equal. Equally valuable by virtue of the fact that we share the same common characteristics. Are you with me? There was a time that I came to a place in my life where I felt my life had no value because of circumstances that I found myself in. Things had Just gotten really bad for me. I had a very tough break and I lost all hope. I could not see how things could turn around. I had defined myself so much by what I did and what I was able to accomplish. And when things went south and things were not happening the way that I expected them to, and the things that I dreaded were happening, I felt my life no longer had value because the things that I had used to define myself were no longer happening in the way that I expected them to happen. But that was a lie because my value never comes from anything that I do. And the same is true for every one of us. You have inherent value by virtue of the fact that you are a human being, that whatever created you to be Put certain things together and created you, molded you, and placed you here on earth. The things you naturally have within you is what gives you value. The sun does not do anything to give it value. It is what it is naturally. That is where its value comes from. And the same is true for you. And the same is true for the homeless person, for a person in prison, for a person under whatever circumstance that they may find themselves in. We are all humans and we're all inherently equal and equally valuable. I hope that, you know, that makes sense to you because the things that we do on earth is our contribution to creation. If you find out what you were created to be and you pursue it, It comes in full circle and you enjoy the fulfillment that comes from functioning exactly the way that you were intended to function. So if you were created to be a priest and you heed to that calling, you experience the fulfillment that comes with it. If you were created to be a doctor that heals those who are sick, you experience that happiness and fulfillment that comes with it if you heed to that calling. If you were created to be a mother or a parent, you experience the joy and fulfillment that comes from heeding to that particular task that you were brought on here to fulfill. You add to creation and you experience the joy of being just that. But the things that you do, the contribution that you make is not what gives you value. You are inherently valuable by virtue of the fact that you are a human being. And I do believe the human structure is inherently very powerful. There's a particular power and magnificence to it that makes it different from all the other creatures that you know. And in religious traditions and spiritual teachings, we're taught that humans are created in the image of God. So the all-powerful intelligence that created all that is we're made in its image meaning we share the same common characteristics as the creator so whatever the creator is we we are that too by virtue of the fact that we are humans and i really do believe that we do have the godlike characteristics and that is who we really are That is where our value is from. We are no ordinary beings. We are extraordinary. And the homeless person, the person living in extreme poverty, the person in prison, the person that is stricken by all kinds of diseases, has that inherent extraordinariness as well. And I share this to encourage anyone out there who may feel, you know, at any point in your life that you have no value or you're less valuable because of circumstances that you find yourself in. You know, I want to share this. I'm sharing this to remind you that you have inherent value. You have inherent capabilities. You have inherent abilities. There's a force that caused you to be and that force has put in you characteristics that are similar to what that force is. And with those characteristics, you are powerful and you have the inherent ability to do and be all that it created you to be and enjoy the fulfillment that comes with that. And in times when things are tough, in times when you are tempted to question your value, in times when you feel like things are not working out for you, get back to that power. Connect with your inherent value, your inherent power and that will direct you through life. And I also share this with you today because this is how I feel about people who are in prison. It is so easy for all of us to devalue a person to the wrong things that they have done. It is easy for us to think of people in prison or people who are accused of wrongdoings as less valuable. And I'm personally moved to ensure that even if a person has to spend the rest of his or her life in prison for what that person did, the person's inherent value as a human being is not lost on others. That even if someone is sentenced to die, that person's value as a human being is not lost on those in authority. That I can extend compassion and empathy towards such people in those times and for those who have forgotten their inherent value because of what they have done or how they grew up, I can help remind them. Because when you know who you are, you gain hope. And hope can be a very powerful thing. I am moved to create hope in prisoners through acts of kindness because I believe creating hope through kindness has powerful transformative effects on the human heart and mind. You know, I want them to be seen. I want them to be heard. I want to remind them of their inherent value. There's so many people who end up in the criminal justice system simply because of the circumstances that they grew up in. They grow up in hopeless environments where they have no sense of their inherent value because society tells them they are no good, but there is good in them just like there is good in you and I. So this brings me to Why it took me so long to publish another episode of the podcast? You know, there. This is what I've been working on. I've been working on cases of people in prison and looking to see the appellate procedures that they can go through with their cases. And there's this particular person whose case I want to talk to you about because I 100% believe this guy is innocent and he was wrongfully convicted, and he has been saying since the very moment that they arrested him for this crime that he did not do it that he's innocent that he doesn't even know what they're talking about um his name is Jace Washington and he was sentenced to 25 years in prison for manslaughter and he has been in prison for the past 14 years he was only 19 years old when they sentenced him um when they arrested him for the crime and he's been in prison ever since you know so i have put together a video that discusses his case with all the evidence that shows that he did not commit the crime. In the video, there's an interview that I did with his mom. I post. I will post a direct link of that video to the show notes. So wherever it is that you're listening to me from, you can go down to the show notes, the description, and you're going to find a link that will direct you to the video. Otherwise, you can just go on YouTube. I just posted this. Um, the title of the video video is innocent man spending 25 years in prison, um, Jace Washington, and it will pop up. So just type innocent man spending 25 years, Jace Washington, and his name will pop up. Um, It's under my name, Izzy Afriye, and you can watch the entire thing. And I have no doubt in my mind that When you go through the entire thing, you're going to come out and agree with me that this guy did not do what he's been accused of. And it's a very, very sad story. But I'm going to give you just a brief summary of his story. But you can go there and watch the entire thing for yourself what we're trying to do i put together a petition for him because now he's exhausted all of his appeals we were hoping that he would get an opportunity for a new trial but unfortunately he didn't he did not get that opportunity so now the only other avenue that we can go through is a petition to get his district attorney to act on his case because there was a time that the da um, agreed to have him take a lie detector test but he the DA never really followed through on that promise. Um so we we, I put together a petition with his family. They're all we're all working together on this um to get the DA to act. So we're just asking people to watch his story, watch the video, get the full story. And afterwards, if you're moved that this guy is really innocent, which I have no doubt in my mind that after you look at all the evidence, you're going to come out and be convinced that this guy did not do it. If you're moved, just sign this petition so that we can gather as many signatures as we can to help free this guy because It's not right that he is sitting in prison. He spent the past 14 years, since he was 19, in prison for a crime that he did not commit. But here's just a brief summary of his case. And I do apologize if I get too excited because I'm very passionate about this. This means so much to me. So when I'm talking about things that I'm excited about, I get a little passionate and I go, (laughs) I tend to go a little faster. But please bear with me. So this is a summary of this guy's case um there was an armed robbery a home invasion in a mobile home this is happened in slydale louisiana back in 2007 it was april 29th, 2007. so eyewitnesses who were in the mobile home on the date at the time of the incident said that they saw two men enter their mobile home and they described both men as extremely dark skin and they were about 5'10", between 5'10", between 5'8 and 5'10 feet tall. So based on that description, the police officers arrested the first suspect. So when the first suspect was questioned, he said that, well, he committed the armed robbery with another guy. And during the course of the armed robbery, they were actually not successful. So we call it attempted. But one of the guys shot and killed um, one of the victims. So the first suspect who was arrested told the officers that he was the one that shot and killed the victim and that he committed the armed robbery with another guy. So he mentioned the name of the second guy. So when the second guy was arrested, the second guy and the first guy, they both matched the description that the eyewitness had described. They were both dark skinned and they were both between 5'8 and 5'10 feet tall. But when the second guy was brought in into questioning, he said that, well, it wasn't just two people who were involved in the attempted armed robbery. But there were two additional people who were involved. So this is when he mentioned Jace Washington's name, and then he mentioned the name of a fourth guy. But with this second guy who was arrested at the time, he was a prior. He was a multiple prior felony offender. So if you're familiar with the criminal justice system when it comes to sentencing, if you are somebody that already has a prior felony, usually if you have more than one. They you get a substantial amount of time when it comes to sentencing. So, in California, there's something called three strikes and you're outlaw. Other states have different forms of it, but for example, in California, if you get if you've committed your first felony and you commit another felony, which is your second felony, the sentence your sentence for the second felony will be twice as much as if that was your first, first felony. And if that's your third felony, they call it three strikes and you're out. And during your third felony, you get life in prison, sometimes without the possibility of parole. So Louisiana has a form of that. And so the second guy when he was arrested, that wasn't his first time. That wasn't even his second felony. That was going to be his third felony. So if he was found guilty on that and he went to prison uh, he 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 was found guilty of that. He could be sentenced to life without parole. And the charge that he was facing at the time was could easily be first degree murder because he was Involved in a an attempted armed robbery and somebody died. So even if he wasn't the one that shot and killed the victim, there's a law uh, a law known as the felony murder rule. So if you're attempting to commit um, a certain certain types of felony, or if you commit certain types of felony and you're not even the person that killed shot and killed somebody, or you didn't even intend to shoot and kill somebody, they call it the fe- felony murder rule, where they hold you liable for that person's death. So with this second guy, this is what he was facing. So even if they've, he, they found him not guilty of first degree or second degree, and it was even just manslaughter, which would be like a very, very lenient charge, because it was a felony, he was facing a very substantial amount of time. So his best bet is in that moment was to plead guilty, and then try to get other people to be involved. And then so that would seem like he's cooperating with the prosecution, and that could give him a lesser sentence. And this was not the first time that he had done something like that. In a prior incident, when he was arrested for a felony that he had committed, he told officers that he wasn't the one that did it. He mentioned somebody else's name. So when they went after that other person, that person had an alibi, so they dropped all charges against that person. So in this case, he was probably thinking, and he admitted it, that that's what he was trying to do, that when he got caught, he was just going to mention other people's names, and Jace had no criminal record. So he was thinking that, well, because Jace didn't have any criminal record, Jace was not involved in the crime, They're obviously going to find out and they're going to let him go free. But for me, if I confess and say that somebody else is involved and I cooperate with the prosecution and mention more names, that will help me get a lesser sentence. So, and that worked. So, when he mentioned Jace's name and all those, the other person's name, they gave him a plea deal of 12 years. So, instead of him facing a possible life sentence, he only got. 12, year, uh, 12 years for that crime. But unfortunately, that's not what happened with Jace. The prosecution went full on to try to convict Jace for the crime. So even when the evidence, they gathered evidence and it became obvious that this second guy was lying about Jace's involved, involvement in the crime or the other third, fourth guy's involvement in the crime, the prosecution allowed the second guy to change his story over and over and over again until it got to a point where he could successfully implicate Jace in the crime. And what the prosecution also kept doing, which is what they do, they kept going to Jace trying to offer him a plea deal to tell him that he should testify against the fourth guy and if he did they would give him a substantially less sentence and then he said no he didn't do it he wasn't there He's not going to plead to something that he didn't do, which a lot of times for defendants who are represented by a public defender, that is what usually happens. They intimidate them to try to get them to plead guilty because they're not interested in investigating to find out actually what happened. A lot of these prosecutorial office are just looking to convict somebody for the crime, and they already think that you did it based on the profile that you know, you have. And so that's what they kept telling him. And he just kept saying he's not going to plead guilty. So they started off with first degree. That's when they first charged him with first degree. And he said, I don't know what you guys are talking about because I wasn't there. And then they amended it to second degree. So he went to trial on a second degree and a, um, a ma- manslaughter charge. So usually when they charge you with first degree, they will include a lesser included offense of second degree. Or if they charge you with second degree, they will include a lesser offense of manslaughter. So if they don't get you for the second, they can get you for the manslaughter. And so that's what they did with Jason's case. So he went um, to trial on second degree and manslaughter, and then they ended up, He was not guilty. They didn't find him guilty on the second degree, but then they found him guilty on the manslaughter charge, and it was a non-unanimous jury conviction, so meaning that all the 12 jurors did not agree that he was guilty, so it was non-unanimous, and in almost all states at the time, with the exception of Oregon and Louisiana, that would have been a mistrial. Because when somebody is charged with a serious crime, it requires a unanimous verdict. So it means that all the jurors have to agree that this person is guilty before it would be a guilty charge. But at the time, Louisiana allowed for non-unanimous jury convictions. And so they convicted him of the manslaughter and they sentenced him to 25 years in prison. He had no criminal record at the time and they sentenced him to 25 years in prison. So in 2020, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that when a person is charged with a serious crime like manslaughter, first degree, second degree murder, you can no longer convict them based on a non-unanimous jury. When it comes to non-unanimous jury convictions, there is a little bit of um, a racist history to it because before, black people were not allowed on a jury. So you'd have a situation where... Um, the black defendant will go to trial and it would be an all white jury and they will convict him. And so it got to a point where the law became that you cannot exclude a person in a jury, you cannot exclude a person as a member of a jury because of the color of that person's skin. So a way around that was to allow for non-unanimous jury. So jury conviction. So that way, we would allow the black people on the jury, but their votes would not count because the white majority, the, that was the expectation that the white majority would vote to convict. So that's a brief history of non-unanimous jury Uh, jury verdicts. But last year, the U.S. Supreme Court, all other states had abandoned that. Just to make it clear, all other states had abandoned that with the exception of Louisiana and um, Oregon. But last year, the Supreme Court ruled that that practice that Louisiana and Oregon were engaged in had to be put to an end. That if they're going to convict somebody of a serious crime, all the members of the jury has have to agree. So when they that ruling came out, Louisiana still said that, okay, well, going forward, we have no choice. We have to abide by this ruling. But when it comes to going back to look at cases of people who were convicted by non-unanimous jury we're not going to do that. Meaning they're they're not going to apply the law retroactively. They're not going to give those people an opportunity for a new trial. So this year, there was another case that made it to the US Supreme Court that was the question was whether Louisiana was required to apply the 2020 ruling retroactively. And so At that time, we were waiting that if Louisiana was required to apply it retroactively, then it meant that Jace was going to get an opportunity for a new trial because his verdict was non-unanimous. But unfortunately, the very conservative Supreme Court justices, all six of the conservative justices all voted and said that Louisiana was not required to go back um, to, uh, to apply this ruling to cases that had been decided prior to 2020. So unfortunately, Jace did not get the opportunity for a new trial. And so what we're doing right now is to put together this petition because there was a time that Jace's mother met with the DA because the the district where Jace was convicted was just, it had a 98% conviction rate under a Walter Reed, who, who was the district attorney at the time, uh, there were a ton of corruption practices that this office were engaged in. That in 2015, he was actually convicted of many, many corruption charges, and he himself was sentenced to four years in prison. So a new DA came on board, and that DA said that it was going to clean up all the con- uh, the corruption of the previous administration, and you know, and rectify all the wrongs that the previous administration did, including and people who were wrongfully convicted because that office, it was just a lot of things were going on there that was not right. So Jace's parents met with the new DA and this DA told Jace's parents that, he was going to have Jace take a lie detector test to determine whether he was actually involved in the crime because the evidence overwhelmingly support that he was not involved. And it looks like they just really tried to pin it on him because they wanted more convictions. They engaged in a ton of prosecutorial misconducts, But that's what the promise that the DA made at the time. But unfortunately, he did not follow through on that promise. And so... What this petition that we are pushing for is for the DA to act and do what he said he was going to do. Because if nothing is done for Jace, he's exhausted all of his appeals. Unless there is a new law that comes that gives him some relief, he's going to spend another 10 years in prison for a crime that the evidence overwhelmingly proved that he did not commit. And to me, I just cannot know all of this and not do anything and so i've put together this petition with the the contribution of his family and we're just trying to get the uh as many signatures as we can get and we're also trying to um, to get the da to act and reopen his case and look at all the evidence and see if this conviction was fair and if this conviction was just um and so that's what we're hoping for One thing about the case is that the second guy who ended up saying that Jace was involved, who was actually there at the scene of the crime and was actually involved in it, he is out of prison. The the fourth guy also, at the time, he was also a prior felony offender, and he could also get a lengthy sentence if they found him guilty of another felony. So even though he was not involved and his phone records shows that he was not involved in it, He took a plea deal so that he could get eight years. He's out of prison. The only person who is in prison right now is the one that actually shot and killed the victim. He did not take a plea deal. He went to trial and he lost. And he was also a prior felony offender. So he also had um, his own things going on. But he's the only person that is still in prison. And Jace is also in prison for the crime that he did not commit. Um, the person who shot and killed the victim has written a letter who, When he and he stated, Jace was not involved, Jace did not come with me. The second guy who initially implicated Jace, he wrote a sworn affidavit where he said that Jace was not involved at all, that he had made the whole thing up because he was afraid. When he wrote the sworn affidavit, there was a hearing that was scheduled for that uh, statement that he had recanted but at the time he was young I think he was also about 19 or 18 years old at the time so a lot of these things involved his family the prosecutor's office called him and, and his family and basically said that well if you recant this testimony we're going to charge you with perjury we're going to add more years to your life this guy had and you're going to see if you watch the video that this guy had lied all throughout the the his testimonies that he had given. But the prosecutor's office had never threatened to charge him with perjury. They just allowed him to keep changing the story until he could successfully implicate Jace. And so, but the, for the first time, they threatened to charge him with perjury. And so he went ahead and during the hearing, he said that Jace had threatened him um, to write that sworn affidavit. But he literally wrote that affidavit saying that he had lied. The fourth guy also wrote an affidavit where he said that that was also, he had lied about Jace's involvement, that he wasn't, Jace was not involved. He wasn't there either. But again, he was also threatened with perjury. So they ended up saying that Jace had threatened them to, to recant their testimony. And so every appeal that Jace has done on his case, it has been denied. And I don't want to get into all the details of how why it was denied but um it doesn't mean that it's because he's guilty but i just i've been going on for a while and i don't want to bore you guys with all those legalities of it but the reason why i'm telling you guys this is that i just really really will appreciate it if you go watch this video Look at all the evidence that I've put together. And if you're moved, please sign this petition so that we can bring Jace home. Because if nothing is done for him, he's going to spend another 10 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. And that is simply not right. Thank you guys so much. I'm going to leave you here because I know I've been going on for a very long time. What I'm going to do is... Um, this week or maybe next week I'm going to publish the full interview that I had with Jace's mother on this podcast. I'm going to share the interview that I did with his brother here on this podcast too and then for the benefit of those people who don't watch the video, I will also post the um, audio version of the video here so that you can all listen. Um, we just really need the the signatures um, to help bring Jace home. Thank you so much you guys for listening. I love you so much and I appreciate you. I love you. Bye-bye.